Amen. Are you thankful it's still the cross today? Amen. Let's look in the book of 1 Kings. Let's look in the book of 1 Kings this morning, chapter number 18. 1 Kings, chapter number 18. While you're turning, there's just a couple of brief announcements to remind you of if you are planning on coming to the uh, anniversary dinner. Please make sure you sign up. Uh, very important that we have you sign up so we know how many people to plan for, to prepare for. Um, it will be a catered meal uh, from Captain's Inn. And so we're looking forward to that Saturday night. Also, we will have a concert uh, with the Merrills here. And Sunday will be anniversary Sunday, ordination service in the evening, and then followed by revival meetings on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. So a lot coming up. Please plan to be here. Put that on your calendars. Uh, also, a reminder, uh, next week is daylight savings time ending, so we all get an extra hour of sleep. <laughs> um, I was laughing with my daughter because the reality of it is, do we ever actually get an extra hour of sleep? We just figure, hey, there's an extra hour for me to do more things. And so, but uh, do remind yourselves or put in, make a note for yourselves to turn your clocks back next Sunday. First Kings, First Kings chapter number 18. We're going to start reading in verse number 17. We're going to read through a, a lot of these verses, but we're just going to read the first few verses starting in chapter 17, uh, verse, verse 17 of chapter number 18. It says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the groves 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the word of God. Lord, thank you that as we uh, open the word this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Uh, Lord, that we would see that the word of God is applicable for all times. Amen. That the word of God changes hearts, Lord. It's not, um, it's not our flowery words or our intelligence, Lord, but it's the Holy Spirit working in us through the word of God to change lives. And so, Lord, I do pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, bless us. Lord, I pray that you would just cast out all distractions. And, Lord, help us to focus for the next few minutes on your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, as you read through this passage of Scripture, one thing becomes very evident. And that is the, the boldness of the prophet Elijah. Now, we can take a look at our circumstances today and we can almost kind of correlate what Elijah was going through at that time with what we have going on today. And, and I'll explain in a few minutes. You know, when you look at the circumstances of Elijah's situations, you could say that, you know, he was facing insurmountable odds in what he was about to accomplish. Now, I say that knowing full well, okay, that when God is on your side, nothing is insurmountable. But we can be convinced by the devil that we are unable to accomplish something or unable to do something or become so fearful of a situation or a circumstance that we don't do what God desires and has called us to do. And Elijah faced odds that you would say, uh, yeah, I don't think I want to go into that. But the truth is his direction came from the Lord. At the beginning of chapter 18, in verse 1, it says, And it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go, show thyself unto Ahab. Now, Ahab, we know, was the most wickedest king in the history of Israel. The things that he and Jezebel did to the prophets, to the people of Israel, leading them down idolatry, killing them, uh, just 
awful, awful things. And we don't have time to go through it all. But suffice it to say that he was the most wicked king in all of Israel, in all the history of Israel. And God tells Elijah, go show thyself unto this most wicked man. Now, Elijah could have said, well, that's, yeah, I don't know about that, Lord. Think back, if you think to the book of Jonah, Jonah was in the same position. He was told to go to Nineveh, and he had other ideas. And that didn't turn out too well for him. Because God got him and placed him and took him where he originally desired for him to go, but not before Jonah had to go through some things. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had to stand before the king and make a decision as to whether or not they would bow down to the false idol or stand for the true God. And so when we get to this passage of Scripture, we see that Elijah here has been called to do something that probably in his mind is something he would rather not have had to do. It probably wasn't on his to-do list when he got up that morning. But God was about to do something amazing. And the interesting thing as you read through this passage of Scripture, there's two questions that that to me are powerful questions that really kind of, um, I don't want to say dictate, but kind of are the themes or, or the things that jump out in these passages of Scripture. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing. If you look through the life of Jesus and if you look through the passages of the Holy Word of God, oftentimes we are concerned when we witness or when we're talking to others that we may not have the answer to a question that they may not ask. And a lot of times they never ask. But isn't it interesting as you read through the pages of the scriptures that oftentimes it's a very simple question that is put out there that becomes a thought-provoking, soul-stirring question in the heart of the person that it's being asked of. Think to Acts chapter 16. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's a very simple question. Seven, eight words. But boy, there is so much packed into that little phrase. In the book of Acts, Philip was asked, what doth hinder me to be baptized? Again, a very simple question, but a question that goes right to the heart of the matter. And I think sometimes we, we, the devil convinces us that we can't do something, or we can't witness, or we can't you know, go knocking on someone's door because, well, they may ask us a question that we're not sure of how we're going to answer. Where sometimes a simple question, I can tell you for me, the question that, listen, I had been witness to for months, But I can tell you there was one question that was asked of me during that process that really got me to thinking. And it was this question. A dear friend of mine asked me this. He said, he said, Mike, if you die today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? That's a very simple question. You hear that all the time. You know what? That's a great question to ask. Because, you know, I think, and I find this in school, whether you're teaching or whether you're, you know, preaching to the students in our school, you want to ask a question that stirs the heart and forces the person you're asking the question to come face to face with the reality of what you're asking them. It's easy in school, and, and we could do this in Sunday school as well, to ask a question with an easy yes or no answer. Now, I could tell you, Most of the kids will know what the right answer is if you ask it as a yes or no question. But when you ask a question, for example, as, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's not a yes or no question. And it forces people to face the reality of what that question is actually saying and to think about it and to search their hearts. And there are two questions in here. There are two questions in here. The first one we find in chapter, in verse 17 where Ahab says, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? (laughs) 
And we're going to talk about that in a second. And the other question is found in verse 21. How long halt ye between two opinions? Very convicting, stirring questions. And so as we go through this, I want you to think about, put yourself in the shoes of Elijah, of what he's facing. And as we go through this, you're going to see, you know, the odds don't seem to be in his favor. But yet through it all, the one constant is God is with him. The one constant in our life is God is with us. It doesn't matter what is going on in the world around us. It doesn't matter what the news media says. It doesn't even matter what's going to happen in a month from now. Because through it all, God is with us. And we forget that sometimes, and we become fearful, and we become hesitant, and we become, you know, reserved in our witness and testimony for Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the devil has won. Or it causes us to make decisions that we know aren't right decisions. Well, everybody else is doing it, or, well, you know what, it's a wicked world. Or, you know what, compared to so-and-so, hey, listen, our measuring stick is the Word of God. Our guide is to compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we fall well, well short of the mark. But we can find other people to compare ourselves to, and we might look pretty good. We might even look in the mirror every morning and say, well, I'm not so bad. But when we start comparing ourselves and through, as we look through the pages of the scriptures, we find very quickly that, you know what, we're nowhere near where we need to be. But even through that, God still uses us. God still uses us, and God still changes us. And let us not forget that. So as we look at this, realize what Elijah is facing. So I want to look at Elijah in light of three interactions, if you will, that he has. The first one is Elijah and Ahab, and it's the confrontation that's initiated. The confrontation initiated. In verse 17, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Art thou he that troubleth Israel? What I see is, letter A, is a skewed perspective. The word troubleth, means this. It means to stir up or to disturb. So what Ahab is saying, hey, are you the one that's causing all this trouble? Are you the one that's disturbing us? Are you the one that's, that's, that's causing all these issues? Isn't it funny when people do what God commands them to do that we're the troublemakers? Listen, it's not us. It's their own wickedness when it's revealed to them by the pages of Scripture. So what does that mean? Do we stop preaching? Do we stop telling people what the Word of God says? Of course not. But understand, listen, the more that the Christian stands up today and the more that the Christian stands on the principles and the Word of God, the more that we're going to be deemed troublemakers. That's just the reality of it. Well, you guys are too radical. You know, there was a time 30 years ago, 20 years ago, even when, 20 years ago when I first got saved, it wasn't like it is today. And there was a boldness, there was an excitement about telling other people about Jesus Christ. Now you tell other people about Jesus Christ, they're like, oh, you're one of those radicals. What's happened? Listen, the Word of God hasn't changed, but the way we think about things has changed, and the culture has changed, and the people have changed. But we as Christians should not change. We need to stand firm on what we believe. Because if we start to move with the world, we're going to continue to get further away from God as they get further away from God. This is not new, by the way. This happens throughout the pages of Scripture. Jeremiah 27, verses 8 and 9, it says, Now it came to pass, when Jeremiah had made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people. Understand that when the word of God is being preached, these are the words of God. They're not our words. They're not my opinions. That's what the Word of God says. Jeremiah, when he had finished and made an end of speaking all that the Lord had commanded him to speak unto all the people, here it is, that the priests and the prophets and all the people took him, saying, Thou shalt surely die. So this is nothing new. Jeremiah faced it in his time. You know why? Because he was doing what? Was he, was he, was he breaking the law? No. Was he, was he physically harming people? No. You know what he was doing? He was preaching the word as God had commanded him to do. And because of that, 
the response, by the way, of the priests and the prophets. These are people that should know better. And their response is, thou shalt surely die. The Apostle Paul went through this in Acts chapter 24 and verse 5. says, for we have found this man, talking about Paul, we have found this man a pestilent fellow. That word pestilent means harmful or dangerous moral or I'm sorry, harmful or dangerous to morals or public order. It's where we get the word pest. So what they're saying, Paul, you're being a pest. We have found this man a pestilent fellow and a mover of sedition. By the way, that was a lie. It was a, they, they said he was a mover of sedition, okay, basically that he was preaching or speaking things that were not godly. But the reason they said that is because their own hearts were convicted. The ones who had moved and had, had, had gone forward with the sedition was the people. It wasn't, it wasn't Paul. The Bible says, For we have found this man a pestilent fellow, a mover of sedition among all the Jews throughout the world. And here it is, and a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. You know, that, that last phrase, a ringleader of the sect, sect, the word they use there for sect is the word, um, the Greek word where we get the word heresies. So what they're saying is, what, you, you are the ringleader of the heresies of the Nazarenes. And Paul, all Paul was doing was preaching salvation, redemption in Jesus Christ. That's what he was preaching. That's what he was telling the people. They didn't want to hear it. And so we see that the people don't want to hear. They, listen, I'm comfortable living the way I'm living. I don't want to hear what you have to say. Listen, may we as Christians never get to that place. May we never get to the place where we're so comfortable in the things we're doing, the ungodly things we're doing, that we no longer want to hear from God or that the things we hear from God we consider to be sedition. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, and Proverbs 16, 25 tell us, there is a way which seemeth right unto, the, unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Listen, we, and I've talked to people over the years, I've had folks when they come visit our school ask us about what we believe in, and even at times ask questions about what we believe in. And I tell them, listen, we're not here to offend anybody, but we will not compromise what we believe in. Because in the days we live in, a lot of folks want to come to our school just because, you know, a lot of options are not out there. And I tell them, I said, listen, we welcome you with open arms, but please understand, this is what we believe. And they all ask, well, can I, can I bring any Bible in? I said, no. We teach and preach from the King James Bible. Well, what does Baptist mean? Baptist means we follow the teachings contained in the Word of God. That's what it means. Everything we do, everything we believe is based on what God's word says. Not our opinions, not our likes, but what God says. Why? Because there's a way which seemeth right unto a man. And listen, there are many things and many people are doing out there today which aren't right. The problem is somebody will stand up in the pulpit and preach the gospel and preach the truths contained in the word of God and people get mad. Can you believe that? You know what he said? Did you hear that? He knows my situation, and now he's preaching on it in church. <laughs> Listen, when you preach against sin, if you're a sinner, guess what? But the truth is, we need to hear that. I don't want to go to a church where they tell me I'm all right, and I'm okay, and pat me on the back and say, don't worry what you're doing, it's all going to be okay. Listen, I get it, at the end it is going to be okay, but I don't want to hear that my sin is okay. I don't like it, but we need to hear it. Why? Because if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. We don't want to live our life in a sinful manner and then get mad at the, at, at the preacher or at the prophet, as in, in Elijah's case, who's telling the people, listen, you are wrong. And they get mad at him. So there was a skewed perspective because Ahab says, aren't you the one that's causing all this trouble? I love the rebuke from Elijah. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel but thou. <laughs> now listen, this is the wickedest king in all of Israel. He had a reputation for killing people, for oppressing people. It was awful the things he was doing. And he says, not me, buddy, you. Wow. Now listen, that takes some courage. But it doesn't take personal courage. It takes godly courage. 
It takes courage knowing that God is with us. And he says, not me, but thou. Then he goes on, and he says, and thy father's house. Listen, not just you, but your generation, and the generation before you, and the generation before you. He says, don't, don't blame me. You know, sometimes we read things in the word of God, and then we get mad at God. Don't get mad at God. God, this book is our guide to live our lives the way God desires for us to live. And we look at the, you know, thou shalt not in the Bible, but we don't look at the thou shalt. You know, we focus on the things we can't do instead of focusing on all the things we can and the things we are blessed to do. And we need to be careful. So he says, but thou and thy father's house, and why? In that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Wow. Not only does he tell him, hey, this is your fault, not mine, but he tells him exactly why. Because you turned your back on God, and you followed false idols. In 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 9, And they shall answer, because they forsook the Lord their God, who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have taken hold upon other gods and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought the, upon them all this evil. Proverbs eleven nineteen says, As righteousness tendeth to life, so he that pursueth evil pursueth it, pursueth it to his own death. Psalm 119, verses 1 and 4. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Thou hast commanded us to keep thy precepts diligently. What, what does God desire? He wants us to follow his law. Follow the word of God. Do what God has commanded us to do. If we read it, do it. What does that mean? That means when Elijah stands there and says, Hey, thou shalt, thus saith the Lord, they should do it. They were mad. You know why? Because they weren't doing it. And not only were they not doing it, but they were so far on the other side of where God wanted them to be that the judgment of God was coming. And, you know, I have found that we can ignore God's leading and ignore God's direction. And we can, listen, start becoming idolatrous in how we live our lives. But, you know, God is going to get our attention. It would be great, and, and I wish I could say that, yep, I do this all the time, but I don't. But it would be great if, you know, when the first time we read something or the first time we heard something, we followed God and did it. But we don't all the time. And God does get our attention, and he's about to get the attention, not only of Ahab, but of the people of Israel as well. It was a sharp rebuke. What was the basis? You know, why could Elijah rebuke Ahab with such confidence? Because he had the truth of the word of God behind him. And listen, when we preach, when people ask us questions, when we witness, whatever the case may be, when we preach chapel, whatever the case is, we have the confidence in knowing that what we're doing is based on the truths in the word of God. That's why the foundation of the word of God is so important. That's why it's so important that we know what the Word of God says and never waver from it. The truths that we find here are God's words, not contain God's words, it is God's word. And so we need to remember that as we live our lives, if people have a question, hey, my opinion means something. And I find myself saying that sometimes. Sometimes somebody will ask me a question, the first thing I start to say is, well, I think, and then I say, no, you know what? No. God says. Because what I think doesn't matter. What I think matters zero, but what God says is what's important. Because what I think isn't going to change lives, but what God says will. You know, is my opinion going to turn people from their sin? No. God's Holy Spirit in God's power with God's word is what's going to change people's hearts. You know, we look at the things that are happening in our world today and we say, man, it's pretty wicked. It's pretty evil. Yeah, but think about what Elijah's going through right now. Is, is it any worse? It really isn't. It's probably worse back then. I mean, Elijah stood there knowing full well that, you know what? God is on my side. Confident that God was with him. Now, somebody else may have said, you know, 
uh, yeah, I, I don't want to die today, Lord. So can I, maybe, maybe I can send him a letter. Now listen, Elijah, keep, keep in mind something. When this meeting happens, Elijah has prayed and a drought is in place. The rain had stopped. That's why King Ahab says to him, see what you've done? You know what this is? This is you causing trouble for the people. We were fine, Elijah. We were okay. But now look what you've done. No, this is a judgment for what you've done, is what he's saying to them. And it's never a popular thing to have people confront their sin. But, you know, if we don't confront sin, are we ever going to ask for forgiveness of it? And for people who are lost, they, we need to, they need to be confronted with the fact that, hey, you are sinners. And without the grace of God, there is no hope. Sharp rebuke, and then there's the stern challenge. You know, Elijah doesn't back down. Verse 19, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and all the prophets to Baal, 450, and the prophets of the groves, 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. You know what he did? He said, I want all the people that are the problem, I want them here. Because I want no doubt left when what you're about to see takes place, I want everyone to see and to witness what's about to take place. And you know what? I, <laughs> I've heard stories, you know, there's people, you'd be surprised, but I, I've heard stories of, of folks who'd be sitting on an airplane and they start to witness to someone. And they'll talk, the person says, oh, because you, know, you can have your Bible out. And they'll say, oh, is that a Bible? They know it's a Bible, but okay, yes, it's a Bible. I, you know, and they'll ask, you know, what do you do? Whatever, you're a Sunday school teacher or a preacher, whatever the case is. And it opens up a conversation, and you'll talk to them. But you know what's interesting? Oftentimes, somebody sitting two rows over will say to you, what was that that I heard you talking about? That's happened to me. I, I'll be talking to folks here at... at um, at school, and somebody else who I didn't even realize was paying attention will say, hey, can, can, can I ask you some questions about that? Listen, our witness and our testimony is heard if we put it out there. And Elijah says, hey, I want everyone to hear and see what's about to happen and what I'm about to say. So it was a stern challenge, and the, the challenge is actually interesting, and we're going to go through that now. The second point, so we have Elijah and Ahab. The second one is Elijah and Israel. So now he's dealing with the people, and this is his, the commitment is challenged. You know, these are the people of God, the chosen people. This is Israel. And yet, they, because of the leadership in Ahab and Jezebel, have directed the people towards idolatrous, wicked worship. And the, the worship was, if you want to call it that, the following of Baal and, and Ashtoreth and all these other false idols was was horrible horrible the things that went on and you would say well they should know better well they obviously didn't but here elijah says gather me all the people of israel and the 450 prophets of baal and the 400 prophets that sit at jezebel's table i want them all now, i want you to think about this scene it's one man and he says i want all these people who hate me and who want me dead i want them here confident courageous man charles spurgeon said this that lone man of heroic soul stemmed the fearful torrent of idolatry and like a rock in mid-current firmly stood his ground he alone and single-handed was more than a match for all the priests of the palace and the groves even as one lion scatters a flock of sheep and that's exactly what it was. He stood in the midst of this. Now you picture, you know, the sheepfold. Tell you what, if a lion went in there, those sheep would scatter. That lion would stand strong, head and shoulders above those sheep. Well, this is how Elijah is standing amid, amongst the people. And he calls them. This lone man. Now listen, he wasn't alone, but it was one man. And the first thing I see is a verified witness. We've talked about this. You know, he gets all the people of Israel. He says, I want all Israel here. Listen, what had happened here? Okay, because what he's doing, he's, he's challenging 
challenging their commitment. In verse number 20, So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And here it is in verse 21. And Elijah came unto all the people, and he says, How long halt ye between two opinions? You know what he's addressing? Their lukewarmness. In Revelations chapter 3 and verses 15 and 16, it talks about how the church at Laodicea was lukewarm and how God would spew them out of his mouth. Well, this is what's happened to Israel. Yes, they're people of the children of God, but you know, man, this stuff over here, this is we like this too. So, we're going to kind of we're going to kind of split our uh, we're going to kind of split our allegiances, so to speak, so we can have the best of both worlds. Can I tell you that does not work? First of all, the world has the best of nothing other than sin, wickedness, idolatry, and leading you down a path further and further away from God. But God has the best. You know, the best of both worlds? No. No, that doesn't work. In verse 21, he asks that self-examining question. And let me repeat it one more time. How long halt ye between two opinions? That word halt means to dance or to hop, literally is what it means. So what they're doing is they're bouncing back and forth. Well, today we like this. Tomorrow we're going to go here. And they bounce back and forth between the two. That's what that word means. Hey, depending on the situation, I may go one way or I may go another way. God doesn't desire for us to live that way. God wants us fully surrendered, committed to him. Not to the world. Because when you hop between the world and God... We're useless for the work of the Lord. What kind of a testimony do we have if we try and, you know, if, if we try and tell people about the blessings of surrendered life to the Lord Jesus Christ and three, four, five days a week we're doing things that we know, we know don't please the Lord. Or the testimony we could be putting out is, hey, I can say a prayer and trust the Lord Jesus Christ and still do all the things I do now. That's awesome. That's not scriptural and so we need to be careful of that james 1 8 tells us a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and god doesn't want us unstable listen when you hop back and forth you're not on firm ground we you know on christ the solid rock we say we sang that song this morning when we're on christ we stand on the solid rock when we're bouncing back and forth we're unstable in all our ways I've read this quote, David Guzik. It's a long quote. I think I have it up there. He said this, The appeal of Elijah made it clear that there was a difference between the service of Baal and the service of Yahweh. Perhaps in the minds of many, there was not a great difference. The only important thing was to have some kind of religion. Now let me stop for a second. We have come to a place today where it's okay as long as we go to any church. As long as we have a religion, everything's okay. That's not true. Now, I'm not saying we're the only church that is preaching the truth. But I can tell you this, we are preaching the truth. Amen. It isn't okay just to go anywhere. It needs to be a church that preaches the gospel. It needs to be a church that stands on the gospel. And it needs to be a church that preaches against sin not hey as long as you feel okay everything is going to be okay listen i'm not trying to be hurtful i really really am not but i have you know heard and seen and talked to people who you know have have gr grown so cold to sin or hardened by their sin i should say that the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit is just, they don't even sense the moving of the Spirit because sin has so hardened them. And, and part of the problem is that we don't preach against sin. Now listen, I'm not saying we just hammer people over the head. No, you know what? There is a way which seemeth right unto men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. However, there is grace Amen. and there is mercy and there is forgiveness. And God, listen, not one of us in here is without sin. 
including myself. So that means that if we're all in sin, what hope is there? The hope is Jesus Christ. The hope is the grace of God. Listen, we don't deserve anything we have. We deserve hell. But the grace of God saved us. The grace of God uses us. When I think, you know, how God uses us for his glory, it's remarkable to me. Because day in and day out, we, you know, we still have the temptations of the flesh. We still have, you know, the, 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 the lusts within us that fight against the Spirit of God. But yet, but yet, if we come to the Lord and we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, but not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so that we can be used for His glory, not for our glory, but for His glory. That's a remarkable thing to me. It really is. So I'm not standing here in judgment of anybody, but we do need to hear. We do need to hear because, listen, if it's in the Word of God, we need to hear it. We've become so desensitized just because of everything that's going on in the world. And, and it's so rampant. It's so, it's so in your face. No matter where you turn, no matter what you watch, no matter what you listen to, it's just there. You know, you know we, we, we try and watch different things on, on, on uh, we don't have cable TV, but we have you know, different streaming services. And we're very, very careful. Because even shows that are considered quote-unquote family-friendly, can sometimes be so offensive and so crude. And all I think to myself is, how is this family friendly? But then it occurs to me, why are we, and why is the world the way it is today? Because what we're calling family friendly is offensive and crude and things that offend God. Well, listen, if they offend God, we shouldn't watch them. Amen. We shouldn't listen to them. And if, you know, people say, well, then there will be nothing for us to watch. Okay. <laughs> but it's the truth and again i'm not saying go live in a cave that's not what i'm saying there are things and it does take an effort okay but don't let those things be the things that are become the idols in our life because back then they were statues they were they were carved they were you know images made out of wood and stone and, and gold and all these other things but the, the idols today are different but they're still idols just because it's not a, we don't have a gold statue sitting on our dining room table that we worship every day doesn't mean that we don't have an idol in our life or something that can become an idol in our life right on our fingertips and it's a remote control. Amen. Our phones can become a, an idol. And again, I'm not against it. I need my phone. I have people trying to communicate with me all the time. It, it's, I, I use it a lot. But when it becomes so much that you can't live without it, then it's become an idol. When it takes the place of our worship of God, it becomes an idol. When we don't want to hear people when they say, hey, what's the most important thing in your life? And when you, you start to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you get mad at the preacher for preaching on it, there's something wrong. We're at where the Israelites are today. And here is, and I have this underlined in my Bible, I, I believe one of the saddest words or phrases in the Bible, and the people answered him, not a word. So here it is. How long are you going to dance, hop between two opinions? How long are you going to be idolatrous worship of Balaam and then still be the children of God and, and trying to serve Jehovah? And the people said nothing. Whether, was it because of their shame? Their anger? I, I don't know. But I know that the right response should have been, Lord, forgive us. But they answered him not a word. It was a deafening silence. In verse 22, lest Elijah be, you know, let off the hook on this. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets, prophets are 450. Now Elijah, you know, he went into this knowing his command was from the Lord. But in the midst of this, he says, I'm the only one left, so I'm going to stand here and do what's right. Now, if you read back in the beginning of chapter 18, he comes across Obadiah, and Obadiah says, hey, I've hid a hundred prophets of the Lord. So Elijah knew that there were other prophets on there, but, you know, he has a little bit of a, you know, maybe it was because of the loneliness. I don't know, but he has this little bit of a, of a pity party. I'm the only one left. And sometimes it seems when we're taking a stand for the Lord that we're the only ones. Don't, don't, let, don't let the devil convince you of that. There's other people standing and doing what's right. 
And sometimes when you go out there and, and you know, you, you start, you see all the wickedness going on in the world, and we say, you know, thus saith the Lord, hey, I love Jesus Christ, I'm not going to do that. You know what, I'm not going to watch that because I know it's offensive to my God. You, you may be the only one that's saying that. That doesn't make it wrong. Right is right. And just remember, you're not the only one. And even if at that moment you're the only one, God is with you. God has not left you. He's not abandoned you. And there's a lot of times we're going to face difficulties. And as the world waxes worse and worse, it seems like we're more and more alone. But guess what? Listen, we're all believers in here. And there'll be people in the 930 service and the 11 o'clock service. We're not alone. God is with you. And God desires for us to take a stand. We need to be that witness as Elijah was. Let me move on. Then he establishes the ground rules. And we're not going to go through all these passages, but we know he basically challenges them in verse 22. Then said Elijah unto the people, I'm sorry, in verse 23, let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the God that answereth by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. Why could Elijah make such a, why could he lay the groundwork for this challenge? Because he knew it was going to be the false gods of Baal versus Jehovah. No contest. He knew it was going to be the lies of Ahab versus the truth of God. And he also understood when he says, let your false gods do what they want to do, and then the Lord will do what he's going to do. And you know what he understood? That this battle was not 450 against one. It was God fighting on his behalf. This was, listen, this was the false gods, and he knew that the outcome would be determined by the true and living God. He, he knew, listen, at the end of the day, he, he had nothing to do with this. As far as the outcome of this, God was going to take care of it. And sometimes we stand in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of, of controversy, and we're, what am I going to say? What am I going to do? Don't worry about it. Just do what God's commanded you to do, and God will take care of the outcome. Well, what if I witness, and what if they don't believe? Not for you to worry about. What if they get mad at me? Not for you to worry about. What if they want to get saved? Good. But it's still not for you to worry about. You know what's going to happen? God will give you the words. The Bible is there. God will use you. We had a situation in school this week. It's not a situation. It was a good thing. Every time you say situation in school, everybody's like, oh, no, no. This was a good thing. We had a, a, a young lady come up to one of our staff and say, I want to get saved, just like that. They were like, what? I want to get saved. So they sat. she sat with her and talked with her, understood everything, went through sin, talked about salvation, led her in a prayer. She prayed and asked the Lord, and she got saved. You know, as soon as she was, <laughs> as soon as she was done praying, you know what she said? She said, I want to get baptized. It's a young child. Listen, that person, that staff member, they, they had no idea that this was going to happen. They didn't have a rehearsed notes. This child just came up to them. What are you going to say? Can you give me 10 minutes? I got some notes I got to take down. No. You know why? Because the outcome's not up to us. God just wants us to be faithful, willing servants, and he'll take care of the outcome. Elijah didn't know what was going to happen, but he knew God was on his side, and he knew God was going to take care of it. And whatever God decided to do, it was going to be for his glory, and it was going to be according to his perfect plan. You know, he, he's arguing and fighting, and there's a lot of false things that are going on in the world today. The Bible tells us in 2 Timothy, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And that's what's happened today. The truth has become fable. Well, listen, these truths never change. Because the Bible says that God cannot lie. So when it's said by God, we know it's true. But the world will say, well, that's old. Listen, there's even, quote-unquote, religions and churches that are teaching things that are, that are, that are just so wicked that go against everything. How can you call yourself a Christian and teach people things that are not godly, scriptural? That's why I said you've got to be careful. It isn't just any religion or any church. It's one that's teaching and preaching the truth. And finally, Elijah and his God. 
You know what? Elijah's confidence was rewarded. He was number one in verse 25. He was unmoved by the enemy. He challenges them. He says, hey, you call on the name of your gods. You do what you need to do, and then we'll see what happens. He was unmoved by the enemy. 450 prophets of Baal. One man. He had unwavering confidence in his God. Verse 27. And it came to pass. <laughs> you know, th these, these two verses here almost seem out of place, but they always make me smile. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. You imagine, it, it's probably nerve-wracking enough when you're preaching and there's all these people against everything you're saying. You're preaching against how they're living. You're preaching against what they believe. And here we go. Here's the challenge. And he starts mocking them. And said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Now you've got to picture this in a mocking tone. Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is talking, or he is pursuing, or he is in a journey. Or maybe, per, per adventure, he's sleeping and must be awake. Go wake him up. <laughs> I, for some reason, that verse just is, it almost seems, well, listen, I'm not, God put it there and it's there for a reason. And it came to, in verse 28, and they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lances till the blood gushed out upon them. That was part of their religious rituals. They would cut themselves for their gods. God never asks us to do that. Those people should have known that. You read back in, in Leviticus, that was absolutely not permitted by God. But he had unwavering confidence in his God. Why? Because if you read back in 1 Kings 17, he was fed by the ravens. The ravens fed him when he was at the brook Cherith. When he went to the house of the woman at Zarephath, she fed him, but she didn't have enough food. So what happened? Elijah prayed and the food kept coming. And the oil kept coming. So God had, Elijah had seen the faithfulness of God in his life just too recently. So he had confidence. That, listen, if God can feed me with these ravens, he can certainly take care of this situation. May we never forget all God has done for us. But then there was no answer forthcoming from these false gods. Elijah knew there was no answer coming. These were false gods. Nothing was going to happen. He knew that. Many people today place their faith and their trust and their prayers in things and people that will, that will never answer their prayers. We need to pray to God, Jehovah God, Yahweh, not to, you know, these false God, people on TV, pay $35 and we'll send you this cloth. That, that's nonsense. You know, I, I often think of, you know, you're giving people false hope. Why don't you, you have an opportunity, show them the truth. But we don't. He knew it was undoubtedly the work of God. We don't have time to read these verses, but in verses 30 through 37, it was undoubtedly the work of God because once these false gods are unable to do anything, he resets up the altar, then he puts this, and then he pours buckets upon buckets upon buckets upon buckets of water. You say, well, if you're trying to start a fire, one of the ingredients of a good fire is not water. Okay, you don't get buckets and buckets of water and pour it over the altar and say, okay, now somebody get me a match. That doesn't work. You know what Elijah was doing? He was making sure that the people understood there was absolutely zero doubt that this was going to be done by God. It wasn't a magic trick. It wasn't something, you know, he didn't pull a rabbit out of a hat. He said, you watch what God's about to do. Isn't it awesome when God does something that was unexpected and you know there's no doubt it was God? In verse 39, we see his undaunted prayer. He does all this, and then in verse 39, and when all the people saw it, I'm sorry, verse 38, then the fire, sorry, let me go back one more, 37, hear me, O Lord, hear me that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, verse 39, and when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces. Listen, there will come a time when every knee shall bow, and every tongue confess. We will all stand and appear. For Christians, we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. For the unbeliever, they will stand before the great white throne judgment. But all of us, every person, every knee shall bow, and every tongue will conf confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when they saw what was happening, they all bowed their faces. But if you go down in verse 41, sorry, verse 40, 
And Elijah said unto them, take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. There is an unavoidable judgment. Listen, we're going to be judged based on the works we do as believers. But there's a lost and dying world that needs to hear the gospel. Without Jesus Christ, they have no hope. There's a lot of people, you can live, you can have a good life, and you can, you can enjoy yourself, and you can feel good about yourself. It's a great moral gospel, but there's no salvation preached. We have the truth. Let's tell people about it. Listen, we're going to stand in the face of opposition. We're going to stand in the face of confrontation, but you know what? God is with us. And when those things happen, and it seems like there's 450 against you, God is still with you. And remember the God that fed Elijah. Remember the God that, that provided the oil and the bread and, the, and, the, and, and that would not end and would not cease until Elijah was fed. And that woman took care of him. And the birds fed Elijah. And that fire that consumed that altar that had buckets upon buckets upon buckets of water on top of it, yet the fire came down and it consumed it. That's the same God that's watching us today. That's the same God that's working through us today. And listen, even though things may seem, you know, bleak and things may seem, you know, desperate, they're not because God's in control. And all we have to do is live our lives in a way that pleases our God. Don't worry about what anybody else says. Just follow what the Word of God says. Live for Him, surrender to Him, and watch what He will do. And when God does things that are unexpected like this, listen, all Elijah did, if you read in verse 36, he's just doing what God told him to do. This is what you want me to do, God. I'm going to do it. And the fire came down. Now listen, Elijah could have said, you know, I'm not going to put this water, even though God said so, because I want to make sure the wood burns. You know, Moses made one little mistake. He hit that rock a second time when God had not told him to do that. What was his consequence? He, he, he wasn't able to go into the promised land. You say, wow, that was severe. Well, there was a reason for that. And God wants us to follow what he has for us, and watch him do great things in us. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. Lord, may we never forget that you are with us. That, Lord, as Elijah stood against all odds, that as Elijah stood facing insurmountable odds, he had faith to believe that he could trust you. And, Lord, we're thankful for your faithfulness to him. And, Lord, what a great work was done there as the people's hearts were turned And Lord, we thank you that you're the same God that's working in us today. Help us to be a testimony, a light in a dark world. And Lord, may we never forget, Lord, that you have a great plan for us. And may we stand, be bold, courageous as Elijah was, preaching and teaching the word of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much.